It's time for another Bob's Red Milk Grain Quiz. And this week, I've got my producer, Sarah Joyner, in the studio. And we're talking about Bob's Better Bars. Now, Sarah, you are one busy person. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I'd agree with that. Is this a quiz about my schedule? (laughs) No, we're going to talk about those Bob's Better Bars. Sarah, Bob's Better Bars do not contain which of the following ingredients? A, gluten, B, soy, C, dairy, or D, egg? Well, I guess gluten gets a pretty bad rap these days, and I would imagine that these bars don't need much in the way of structure. So I'm going to go with A, gluten. Here's the good news. You're 25% correct. (laughs) Hey, I'll take that. (laughs) It was a trick question. I did trick you. The answer is none of those ingredients are in the bar. Bob's Better Bars are free of gluten, soy, dairy, and egg. They're a convenient and delicious way to get whole grain nutrition on the go. And that's great for busy producers like Sarah. For more information and a ton of delicious recipes, go to bobsredmill.com. Hey, Proof listeners, Bridget here. Now, today's episode of Proof is a bonus episode, and it's the first of many that are going to be coming out this summer, and we're determined to answer your weird food questions. Now, today's question comes from Natalie Reed, and she asks, as I sit here dunking my chocolate and rogue donut in my coffee, I find myself wondering... Why are some pairings divine, such as her present experience, and why are some horrible, like orange juice after toothpaste? Now, we all know that there are classic flavor pairings that just work, like peanut butter and jelly, but uh, some are less successful, like peanut butter and mustard. So we've brought in a real flavor expert. It's Natalie Taki, and she's the director of Consumer Sensory Insights at the flavor company Jividon. Now, you met her in season one on the Bean Boozled episodes, where she helped us understand how the flavor industry works and ultimately how one could create a sock-flavored jelly bean. Because, you know, you need to know how that works. And we're happy to have her back. Hi, Natalie. It's Bridget. How are you? Hello. I'm great. Thank you. So what's going on there, Natalie? There's a couple things going on. And the first thing I'll say is, As humans, if you think back kind of to the caveman era, we are biologically designed to crave things that are going to keep us alive, and that's calories. And the best sources of calories are fat and sugar. So that's definitely a fundamental reason why dunking a chocolate and robe donut in coffee works. We're designed as humans to love donuts. Everything about our taste buds makes us want to eat something like a donut. But why exactly does it work with coffee? And why doesn't orange juice and toothpaste work? It really is about your sense of taste, your sense of smell. They're just like all of your other senses. They crave balance. So I'm curious about this seeking balance. Your body compensates when things are out of balance. So I think a great way to think about this is the feeling that you get When you walk into the sun after you've left a dark movie theater, your sense of sight has been exposed to this extreme darkness, and now you're putting it into bright sunlight, and you feel overwhelmed. Your sense of sight responds by squinting. Your pupils' dilation changes, and eventually you find that balance again. Your eyes adjust, and the light outside isn't bothering you anymore, and it's really the same with your sense of taste, your sense of smell. With the example of toothpaste, 
that's really an extreme for your sense of taste. It's designed to be an extreme imbalance and give you this very long-lasting sense of cooling. And then you think about orange juice, which in and of itself is a bit extreme. It's fairly tart. It's fairly sour. So that combination of this extreme cooling, this extreme tartness, I think that's why orange juice and toothpaste doesn't work. It's not exactly a fair example because toothpaste really is more like a medicine than it is like a food. There are certain tastes that you have that balance each other and certain tastes that you have that complement each other and then things that just inherently don't go well together with without a very talented chef or product developer finding those right levels. Right. With the example of the donut and the coffee, those are really some complementary flavors there. So you've got chocolate, which has sweetness to it. It has a fattiness. And in some cases, depending on like how dark the chocolate is, it has a slight bitterness to it. You pair that with coffee and the slight bitterness of coffee can temper the sweetness of the chocolate, but the slight bitterness and the roasted notes in the coffee also complement the chocolate. It's a really great pairing and it's finding that balance. Gotcha. So I'm thinking about some of the more extreme pairings that people are getting away with though in restaurants. You know, I feel like as a culture, we're getting really into the whole adventure time of uh, crazy flavor pairings. Is there anything that you can think of that would just not work together? We talked a lot about this with the flavorists and chef here, and not really. At the right levels, with the right touch of a flavorist, the right touch of a chef, just about anything we thought of, you could find a way to make it work, especially here in the U.S. We are very used to trying really crazy new combinations of things, and they're working. There are things that molecularly, if you look at certain ingredients, actually share a lot of flavor compounds, but they're not always things that as consumers we would inherently think, oh, olives and white chocolate sounds great together. Maybe that doesn't sound that great together, but they actually do share some flavor compounds that make them up. So put together in the right way, you could make that taste good. Hmm. Does that have anything to do with different stages in our life? I was talking with my producer about how I used to love pickles and peanut butter. Certainly, you know, there was a point in my life where I was grabbing some weird combinations. Your preferences and your thresholds for liking or disliking or being sensitive to things can change daily. They can change over time. You can train them to change. I myself was a very picky eater. And my natural curiosity about food and wanting to learn how to cook, I forced myself to try new things as I got older. And I also had parents who made me eat foods I didn't want to eat. As you get older, your taste buds change. Your sense of taste changes just like your sense of sight or your hearing. You might need hearing aids or you might need glasses. As you age, your sense of taste and smell weakens as well. All sorts of things, even your mood you could be asked to take five samples of sweetened water and rank them from lowest to highest intensity of sweetness and be in a good mood and get the answer right and the next day do the same task and be in a bad mood and get the answer wrong. And hormones too, I think anyone who's ever been pregnant can tell you that their sensitivity definitely changed when they were pregnant. But any big hormonal changes in a person's life from puberty to menopause can make things taste different. So thinking about balance 
as the goal. Is there any kind of guide or, for lack of a better word, a, a color wheel or something for flavor making? We use a lot of analogies to painting with flavors. So a flavorist has a palette just like an artist, and an artist knows to start with blue and red to make purple. And so there are definitely starting points. And we've created some flavor wheels for some of the iconic flavor families that demonstrate this really well and show that, you know, apple flavors always have these kind of green notes and these kind of fruity notes. And that's really the palette where the flavor starts. But there's always a wedge of this wheel that's the magic. There's always room for some kind of nuance or signature note that you can put in there to make something really taste unique or to just be surprising for a consumer. And, you know, there's things that just work very well together and and are obvious, but sometimes an antagonistic combination can just be really interesting. I think it depends what your goal is. Your goal might not to be in perfect balance. It might be to have something that's really just standing out and intriguing and starting a conversation. This is where cooking isn't just science. It's called culinary art. There's definitely a science to it, but it's an art. My last question for you, though, is what's your weirdest food pairing that you like to eat? Let me not say weird. Let me say um, unconventional. Well, I don't know if it would be unconventional for everyone. I grew up in a heavily German-influenced home, and my great-grandfather used to eat summer sausage with mustard and grape jelly. And that's still a go-to snack in our house. And my husband, whose family is also German, it's a part of combinations that they enjoy, too. And we put American cheese on it, too. So it's a cracker with American cheese, summer sausage, grape jelly, and mustard. Yes, I love this. It's almost like muscadine jelly, right? So it's got to be that super sweet. Yeah, it's just a perfect balance of of all those things. But it doesn't really sound that good when I'm <laughs> describing it to you. But I would eat it any day. There's so many combinations that are now really not that strange, that were very strange at some point. I had a bacon bourbon old-fashioned at the Patterson House in Nashville. It's the best cocktail I have ever had. And it's a you know bacon in a cocktail, in bourbon and maple syrup, and it was delicious. I got to say, I'm the wrong person to be talking about that because I do believe that bacon belongs in everything. <laughs> bacon donuts Doritos Bacon donuts Doritos And yeah. wine And wine, there we go This has been great Natalie, thank you so much Really appreciate it It is my pleasure You know, I love what Natalie was saying About balance of flavors And basically the body is always looking To balance itself out Got it, agree with that But I still, I went back to that Whole combination of orange juice And toothpaste I mean, I cook with those flavors All the time So there had to be something more. And it turns out there is something specific to toothpaste that makes the sensation of drinking orange juice after you've brushed your teeth such a wretched experience. And what it is, most toothpaste contains something called sodium lauryl sulfate. Now, you probably know it from other things out there like hand soap or shampoo. It's a type of soap. Uh, and it's found in toothpaste in order to clean our teeth. It foams up, cleans the surfaces, but it does something else. It basically prevents the tongue from picking up sweet flavors, and it breaks down the fats on our tongue, and those fats are really helpful for tempering bitterness. 
So anything that you're going to taste after brushing your teeth, well, you're not going to be able to taste any sweetness, and you're going to get a whole lot of sour bitterness. And that's why that morning conundrum of orange juice after toothpaste, not good. Well, we want to say thank you so much to Natalie Taki for joining us. And thank you to Natalie Reed for submitting this question. Now, please keep tuning in every Thursday for more proof bonus episodes where we're going to answer those questions that you have. And if you have a weird food question that you'd like us to answer, email proof at americastestkitchen.com. And please stay tuned for season three of Proof coming this fall. <laughs>